Uhuru. Uhuru, you're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black Power 96.3 WBPU in St. Petersburg, Florida, and now available as a podcast as well. If you're following us, uh, you can also follow us on Podbean at uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. That's uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. Reparations in Action is the weekly program of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, the organization of white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, organizing in the white community to build the movement for reparations to African people. And my name is Jamie Simpson, your co-host. And I'd like to also introduce my co-host, chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess. Uhuru, Penny. Uhuru, Jamie. Uhuru, Jesse. Uhuru. Great to be here. Great to have you here. And great to be here also with the chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. Uhuru. Great to be here with all of you as well. Uhuru to chairwoman Penny Hess. And shout out to our guest engineer, Temba Shimondo. We really appreciate you being here and just really want to salute Black Power 96.3 FM. Excellent. I want to join you in that, Jesse, and uh, appreciating our guest engineer. Uh, he's an African People's Socialist Party member and uh, engineer here at Black Power 96, Temba Shibanda. And we also want to salute the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, Chairman Omali Ashitela, as well as the African People's Solidarity Committee, the cadre organization of white people working under the leadership of the African Revolution, Black Power 96.3 FM, community radio uh, led by the black community for the black community and the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the nonprofit organization that uh, supports this station, that guides this station, whose mission is to address the grave human and civil rights disparities and uh, disparities in health, economic development and health care faced by the African community. So we are the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and African People's Solidarity Committee. We are white people working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party. And we have this show every Tuesday at noon in order to address directly white people who are listening to Black Power 96 and introduce to you the concept that you have a role within the African Revolution. And that role is standing in material solidarity with the self-determination rights of the black community or African community by standing for reparations, reparations for colonial slavery, reparations for ongoing colonial conditions that African people face. And today we're going to be summing up uh, specifically the political situation going on in St. Louis, uh, the politics of resistance there. We're going to have a really a spotlight on that area for today and analyze what's going on in St. Louis from the perspective of African internationalism. And we're very well positioned here today with Chairwoman Penny Hess and uh, Chair Jesse Neville to discuss this. So uh, let's get right into it, and we'll, we'll have Chairwoman Penny Hess for about 45 minutes during the show today, and then we'll move on uh, to the question of the moneyed sector of imperialism and how the Uhuru Solidarity Movement is going to be taking that on this year. So let's go to St. Louis now. Let's get right into this. Yeah. Chairwoman Penny Hess, you moved to St. Louis last year, and we have all felt your absence and uh, seen the work that you've been doing out there. And you, you relocated the national office of the African People's Solidarity Committee and built solidarity with the Black Power Blueprint, which is thriving in St. Louis. Before that, you were here in St. Petersburg for some time, having been in St. Louis for nearly a year now. How would you sum up the conditions of the white community out in St. Louis versus the conditions of the African community? And how would you compare that to the, the uh, disparities between the white and African community here in St. Petersburg? Could you, uh, we often hear you talk about the infamous Del Mar Divide in St. Louis. Could you talk a bit about that? Uhuru, Uhuru, well, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we, we hear you loud and clear okay, in the good, studio. Good. Yes, indeed. Well, I certainly want to start by joining in the salute to Chairman Amalia Shatella, who's our leadership, uh, the African People's Socialist Party, Deputy Chair Onisene Shatella, and, of course, Director Akile Anayi and Kemba and Black Power 96. It's very exciting to, to be on this program today, as always. And of course, salute to you and everybody who's listening. So I think it's a very important discussion. And yes, um, well, the party, the African People's Socialist Party, 
under whose leadership the African People's Solidarity Committee works and we were founded by the party, etc. We work for reparations to African people wherever we go and wherever we are. And I think that the question you're asking, Jamie, is that on the one hand, African people are colonized wherever they are, any place in the world, and certainly any place that they are inside the borders of the United States. So there is the similarities of colonialism everywhere and the conditions overall for African people in St. Petersburg are, are of course very similar to the conditions of African people here in St. Louis. But the party, the African People's Socialist Party and specifically Chairman O'Malley Chatella came here in 2014 just after Mike Brown was murdered by the colonial police and he was left out in the hot sun in August of 2014 um, as for about several hours. And there were really powerful rebellions of the African working class in response to that. Not that that was even unusual because it continues to happen and it has always happened here and elsewhere, but what distinguished it was the militant, the militant resistance of young and African people, and really, you know, just the support of a broad sector of the entire African population here. It was a very profound unity that was being expressed by the entire African working class and the the um, issues, the demands that were raised were kill the police because it was an anti-colonial struggle. It wasn't um, about even, you know, uh, liberal demands or anything else like that. It, and this is what brought the party here. The chairman came here. He just went out onto the streets with members of the party and he began organizing and agitating and speaking about what are the conditions of African people. He went into the thick of huge crowds of young African people and just started talking and, you know, and agitating. It was really bold, really powerful. And it was being live streamed and, and put out and videoed. And, and, um, during that time, he, he, one of the people that came forward was president who now is president Columbia of the international people's democratic Uhuru, Uhuru movement was very much moved and transformed by hearing the chairman and came forward. And so th over the last um, soon to be, you know, I guess five and a half years, the, um, the party has been here since about 2016, 2017, actively buying property on the north side of St. Louis and building the Black Power Blueprint, which are on the ground, incredible projects that are about power, political and economic power in the hands of the African working class in a way to negate the economic power and control of colonialism and US capitalism, which is parasitic. So, so this is a this is a unique, a unique project. This is probably, you know, I think it's safe to say the only thing like this going on in the world today. And so I'm saying that to give a background of why the Solidarity Committee is here, because our work is to work in the white community, to organize other white people to join in solidarity, to join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, join the African People's Solidarity Committee, and, and begin to take a stand of reparations, organizing for reparations, but also it's a way of life, as you know, that says, you know, um, it's not, it's not a payback or it's not a payoff. It's not a charity thing that this is a way of life that recognizes that we sit on the pedestal as white people. We sit on the pedestal on the backs of the incredible suffering and exploitation of Africa and African people on stolen land of the indigenous people. That's, that's something that you just don't you know, deal with once, oh, and now it's over, because right. it's an essential question. So I'm saying that to lay out this, and I came here a year ago, and it'll be a year ago this month, actually, um, to 
um, to begin to build the national office here of the African People's Solidarity Committee right in the heart of the Midwest. It's um, very, very important to be here. And it's been really powerful. There's so much to say about it. So, you know, you can, we can, we can stop and, and talk about things a little bit. But I do want to say that the, what is called the Delmar Divide, which is, um, I actually think I read that it was the BBC that was here that made that point that the, the, there's the Delmar Avenue, Delmar Boulevard, I think it is that is sort of dividing line between incredible wealth, even mansions within, you know, half blocks from there, gated, little, gated, you know, older mansions and big houses. And you cross that to the north and there is uh, just incredible poverty within a few steps. So it's a very stark um, division. It's very blatant. And, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute, there are many, many programs over the years to consciously keep the African people on the north side of St. Louis in poverty, in degradation, steal their money. Um, the Team 4 plan, which was a city-adopted plan that was instigated in the 70s to, um, or possibly even earlier than that, um, to have... Uh, conscious neglect of the north side community the african community basically let it rot put no money into it into the streets the schools and you have a city of st louis that in the 1950s and earlier it had a population of nearly a million people today it has a population of about 330,000. so it's not too much larger than st petersburg but it's on a lot of ground where a million people once lived. And white people, when they saw the uprisings of the 1960s of the African population, uh, white people fled to the suburbs. So it's basically, and I've read this about Detroit as well, it's, it's a city in which 50% uh, of the population is African even today, although they're trying to, they're chiseling away at that and attacking it very seriously. And 50% um, is white, but everything is geared towards the white community and all the wealth is contained there. Um, and it's, it's very blatantly two different wor worlds, even though many, many African people also live on the south side of mm -hmm. St. Louis because you know, it's been an African city, but what it became was more of an African city surrounded by white suburbs. And that is St. Louis County. And actually Ferguson, where Mike Brown was, was murdered by the police in 2014, is only, you know, seven minutes from here, from where we, I am at the Uhuru House right now at 4101 West Florissant maybe seven minutes, maybe 10 minutes from our drive. And, um, and that's a place where African people went to try to escape the conditions of the, of the North side and to, you know, try to live a better life. And this is where this happened. Um, where, you know, and, and so many other contradictions that we know about happen in, there in the county. But generally, I would say the majority of the county is white. And um, so there's a lot that I want to say about that because the city wants to merge, for one thing, the city and the county and make it all one, which would mean that African people would be a large minority um, based on the fact that the county is predominantly white. And so, you know, that's a struggle that the Uhuru movement is taking on against the city-county merger. And also the city wants to cut the wards from, which are um, called districts in St. Petersburg. They're, it's called the city council in St. Petersburg. It's called the board of aldermen here, but it's the same thing. The aldermen are like the city councilmen and women. And so right now there are 28 uh, wards, 28 wards in the city, and and um, and they want to cut that in half, so they want to double the size of every ward, thereby making it incredibly impossible 
for African working class to be able to win office, to be able to have the resources to um, cover the space and um, go door to door, do all the things that, that they need to do in a ward to get elected. Um, it makes it incredibly difficult. And also that, you know, that the aldermen, especially like Jesse Todd, who is a friend of the movement and he is um, over Ward 18, um, you know, he's very dedicated to resolving the contradictions in his ward. And, and he's you know, just talked to the movement about like all the needs of that ward. It's not exactly this one. It's very near to here. And, um, and so, you know, to double the size of that with just one person who doesn't have a staff is going to mean there'll be no, no ability for, you know, even like streets to get fixed and sidewalks to get fixed and, you know, these kind of things, which happen very rarely anyway on the North side. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to say, but I would say that the two things have changed since I've been here in the year. And the first thing is that the impact of the Black Power Blueprint is powerful. It's amazing. Um, right now, the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement is working on gaining testimonies from business people, from you know artists and poets, and they hold a poetry night once a month that is so incredible. Um, they are getting ready to launch the One Africa, One Nation marketplace with vendors across the street, across Alice Street, the side street here, where the beautiful, beautiful uh, stage and pergola and all, you know, the landscaping is happening, the beautiful wrought iron fence. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And the beautiful, incredible 50-foot flagpole with a giant African flag is fine. So, so many people from the community come around here and they just express in profound ways what the, just seeing this in their community means to them. You know, that, that they see a future, that there are people who were going to move from this neighborhood, they said, but they decided to stay because this gives them hope. There are business people, small business people, like the balloon, the man who owns a balloon shop down the street and, and a woman who owns a healthcare uh, product place across the street. You know, just come to the Uhuru House at different events and express how much this means to them and that people, even aldermen, say how much the flag flying, how much, how important that is. And, this is this is a, a profound impact here, and I, and you feel it, you see it, you taste it. The neighbors express this. It is it is an incredible thing to see, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's something that you know really working to win. But at the same time, I see that in the face of the Black Power Blueprint, the city of St. Louis is escalating its gentrification mm -hmm. rabid i mean it is fierce what it's doing you know um and it's coming in it's building the, the nga the national geospatial intelligence agency right in the middle of the african community there are developers like the, the criminal um <laughs> criminal vicious paul mckee who has bought up so much property and made millions of dollars on the north side while pushing African people out. You can just see everything that they're doing. The city is now tearing down abandoned buildings. It's now fixing the electrical grid so that, you know, the NGA will have the electrical grid that it needs. I mean, everything, and it's rapid. It's just, it's happening so quickly that these are the two things, you know, that we can see. And I, I think that they, escalated their efforts in a lot of ways because they see the power of the Black Power Blueprint. So it's a war. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's a war going on. And it's a war on the side of justice, liberation, power in the hands of the African working class versus the power of, of white power, of, mm. you know, of corporate and, you know, just money grubbing um, greedy politicians and liars, you know, just everything that these developers have done and are doing to make money 
off of the backs of African people. So we're seeing the Black Power Blueprint winning in the eyes of the people, in the ability to um, to you know to consolidate its base. It's very very powerful. So you know, just one other thing I would say because you asked me about white people, I do we do find that white people saw and were very much moved by the uh, the rebellions after the murder of Mike Brown, the uprisings. And we see a very great openness of white people, very much so. There are very many white people who want to do something, who want to be on the right side, who don't want to be you know, symbolized by the Del Mar divide. They want to do something they don't know what. And so this, to stand in solidarity, to pay reparations, to contribute to 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 the Black Power Blueprint as reparations is a powerful way and very very exciting way for for people to you know in the white community to take a stand and and something that people white people instantly I think gravitate to because they see that it is not charity they want to stand in solidarity with the actual movement led by the African working class itself. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Chairwoman Penny. It's really moving to hear about dual and contending power in the hands of the African working class really flowering there with the Black Power yeah. Blueprint in St. Louis. And it's really clear why Chairman Amalia Chatella calls it dual and contending power, mm -hmm. because you see the state contending directly back against the power of colonized people, the African working class, interfering at, at every opportunity. We're going we're gonna to be getting into that, the uh, ghosts of, of colonial intervention, past, present, and future. You mentioned the NGA, for anyone listening who isn't familiar, that's the National Geospatial uh, Intelligence Agency, which is essentially a spy agency with frightening capacities. So we, we wanted to talk about some of the, the struggles, as you already have mentioned, going back to August 9th, 2014, at least, which was the exact day that Michael Brown was gunned down uh, by a, a white cop in Ferguson, which is uh, you know, a suburb of St. Louis, just seven minutes from the Black Power Blueprint. And the heroic resistance of the African working class that we saw there in Ferguson yes. after they left his body out for four hours. Think of that, August 9th, 2014, the, the heat, mm -hmm. the absolute insult to life, humanity, and dignity. It, it's understandable why such a militant response came from the African working class there. And a, a lot has happened in, in the almost six years now since those heroic 2014 rebellions. One involves an African St. Louis chief prosecutor, namely Kim Gardner, who has filed a lawsuit against the city of St. Louis. Uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess, could you fill us in on that question of Kim Gardner? Well, Kim Gardner is an African woman who is the chief prosecutor, as you said, and who came in on the wave of, of just the consciousness that followed the uprisings of 2014 2015. And she um, has been in since around that time. And she is committed to, and has stated very, very uh, publicly, committed to reducing just the blatant colonial warehousing of African people into jails and prisons and and of course and the police violence against African people and she's done certain things like she would not ever take testimony in a case against an African from at least a certain number of cops here who she you know who she exposed had planted evidence, had been already, you know, been exposed as in some way, um, you know, setting up that person. So she had refused to do that. So she was targeted very much for, um, by the police department for that. And, you know, and many other things that she is trying to do in this city. Um, it's not going to be the same as black community control of the police and the real question of power, but she is under attack because of her stand against just, you know, blatant um, colonial violence and incarceration, 
with impunity of the African working class. Now, um, you know, I would just say that the newspapers attack her, the city, the, the, the mayor, they're attacking her. Um, she has a lawsuit out. It's interesting that she invoked this KKK law from the 1870s. Yes. Um, and she, um, you know, she stopped with making marijuana arrests when it's practically, you know, literally legal for white people, mm -hmm. Africans that, that are being caught on that. And so, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's a very important case. And it's, um, it's typical of here. And, and you're talking about a city where the, um, the, the politicians, all the politicians become, they run for office to make money, to get rich. Mm -hmm. And to get rich by taking money and bribes and other kinds of things and you know quid pro quo and all of these things that, um, that are there and always at, ex at the expense of resources coming into the city and, count and county based on the statistics of poverty of the African community. And um, we, there was recently in the past year, since I've been here, the arrest and exposure of Steve Stenger, who was the um, basically the mayor of the county, they call him the county CEO. He, um, he stole millions of dollars, millions of dollars, but he went to a very posh prison where they have you know tennis courts and and um, gourmet food and that kind of thing and he wow. can he can get the Wall Street Journal and he can do all these you know he's other with other like Wall Street people and people like that who've been Jeffrey Epstein type prison yeah exactly you know and um, so he's there and they even shortened his sentence and he went for just like three five thousand dollar bribes or quid pro quo deals kind of thing. Um, but in fact, he made millions of dollars. He was, he and his assistant, Sheila Sweeney, who was also the economic development um, director of the county, were both the key people on what's called the Promise Zone or the Opportunity Zone program that brings HUD money and opportunities, quote unquote, to especially the North Side and the African communities, you know, based on on the poverty in those areas. But nothing ever goes to them from that. It goes into their pockets. Sheila Sweeney took, you know, just made millions on that, and she did not go to prison. She went. She was convicted. And uh, I don't even know if she has house arrest. She doesn't, she didn't really, maybe she got parole or something. But, um, you know, they worked with mafia. They worked with every possible, you know, neocolonialists, everything to take this money. And so when, the, when this came out and they were taken to trial and then they were sentenced um, and new people came in to the county council of St. Louis County, there was never a, um, a commitment that we're going to expose what happened, we're going to overturn this, nothing, right. nothing. And to say also that the city and, and county work hand in hand. So Steve Stenger, who went to prison, was very close friends with um, Blyda Crewson, who's the mayor. And she's never come under any you know exposure because of this so it's all it all just goes on mm -hmm. it goes on and on and it's about taking money um creating a situation where the poverty in the african community is deep it is demoralizing there is there's nothing there's nothing there's no grocery stores the schools have been closed the um it's just the streets are potholes that could eat your car I mean, it, it's like there's no, you know, there could be two houses on a street and other abandoned buildings, and now they're tearing them down. So who knows? They're probably going to be big high-rise condos going up there. I mean, there are all kinds of deals, and they're all connected. They're connected with the NGA, bringing the NGA in. Why did a major spy agency, intelligence agency, come into the middle of the African community? I mean, yeah. 
That's insane. Why, why is it doing that? It's doing that as part of the deals that they're making. They make money off of same people involved in all of these things. And this developer, you know, that was 99 acres that they took and they, they pushed out all the families that lived there, including families that I'm talking about on the campus, quote unquote, of the NGA, which is probably a mile from here at most. And um, they pushed out all the families. People had lived in those houses for generations. They pushed them out, gave them very little money for the houses. And um, developers own thousands of acres up here now and pushing the African community out, making, you know, trying to make this, going to make this right. um, a new little scene for white people who are going to move here as part of the NGA and all of its attendant kind of, you know, software companies and Starbucks and all the things that, that are going with mm -hmm. it now. And, and at mean, the expense we, of the African community. And you say developers, Chairwoman Penny, but uh, really it's becoming like a euphemism for oh, yeah. parasitic, <laughs> opportunistic land speculators and, and yeah. other small yeah. time or big time charlatans. Colonizers, settler colonizers. Yeah. You know, these people are, it's no different than when, you know, the white people, Europeans went into Southern Africa and mm -hmm. killed the people and put them on reservations and put them into um, colonial mines and all of that kind of thing. It's no different whatsoever. Right that people made their fortunes on that and white people did from Europe and now white people are making their fortunes on gentrification. It's very, very blatant here. I know it's, of course, rampant in St. Petersburg and everywhere, everywhere the movement has been. Oakland is pretty much over now. You know, it's, it's done. 44,000 African people have been pushed out of Oakland, California. New York, of course, was 25, 30 years ago. Um, Africans pushed out of Brownsville and other neighborhoods of, you know, that were historically African, even Harlem. Mm -hmm. So Bill Clinton's territory now, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and uh, Chairman Penny, I remember uh, about three years ago or more, not long after 2014, not long after Darren Wilson gunned down Mike Brown, we saw the heroic uprisings. A lot of what you're talking about was at least being alluded to in the bourgeois media. I, I remember stories about uh, how corrupt and how, how uh, financially motivated the city leaders were and how much money they were making off the poverty of the black community, of the African community. And then they changed the a few. tickets. They read yep. all of the um, the tickets that they were issuing. Africans in Ferguson, in particular, would like sustain the city with mm -hmm. millions of dollars every mm -hmm. year. And yeah, it just, it just goes on and on. And the, but the coverage sort of died totally died away uh, from, from right. my awareness. They didn't stay on that. They did, they switched a couple of uh, titles. You know, switched a couple of management people around. Mm -hmm. And um, now gentrification is on steroids. So I'm, I'm really glad There's, to know. Nothing is different. Nothing right. is different. Well, except the Black Power Blueprint. No, no changes. <laughs> right. With except the, for the Black Power Blueprint, of course. Right. But nothing that the city did. Right. In fact, it sounds like what, or we know that what, what they're doing is deepening the crisis for the African working class, trying to negate everything uh, that the Black Power Blueprint is doing. So um, uh -huh. we, we wanted to continue to deepen this question here uh, in, in St. Louis. We're, we're talking to Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee, our co-host here on Reparations in Action. Um, Jesse, did you want to jump oh, in here? Sure, yeah. I just um, I appreciate these um, summations from Chairwoman Penny. And um, actually, the first time I went to St. Louis, it was with uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess and also members and leaders of the Uhuru movement, that was in August, I think that was August 30th, 2014. Mm -hmm. We went there mm -hmm. for massive demonstration, thousands upon thousands of people, and Chairman Amalia Chatella was there. And uh, anyway, there's a whole long story there as well. It was quite interesting. But, um, but just having been there a few times over the years to uh, attend conventions and conferences and things like that of the Uhuru movement, it is really, really striking the raw nature of the colonial disparities between the white community on one side of the so-called Del, Del Mar divide and the colonized African community on the other. And um, when I was there last, there was, I had a, a, a Lyft driver who was from Albania who was giving me a ride to the Uhuru house and he was just remarking that 
this was like a bombed area. Like mm-hmm. it was like a war, you know, a war zone territory. Like Syria. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he said, like Syria, like Iraq, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. it's just really clear and. And I just want to unite that the Black Power Blueprint is so powerful and the impact is so profound. And, you know, I know that we have really important goals, like we want to get a solidarity center in St. Louis. And, and we also have our convention that I'm going to be, I can talk more about later, where Chairman Penny and Chairman Molly Chatella and others are going to be speaking in St. Louis. But yeah, if you're listening on the radio here in St. Pete, if you're a white person tuning into this program and, and hearing us talk about St. Louis, like you gotta go to St. Louis. You have to go to the Uhuru Solidarity Movement Convention and see it for yourself. See both the conditions and the fight back because yes. it's incredibly yes. powerful and inspiring. And, and you know our responsibility to build solidarity with the Black Power Blueprint and fight for reparations to African people is made obvious in such a such a huge way when you go somewhere like st louis so yeah yeah it's it's just a key battleground and one last thing i want to mention that i appreciate the discussion about you know well one thing i'm i'm glad you mentioned stanger is that how you say his name stanger stanger stinger okay um (laughs) that he's he's the ceo (laughs) perfect (laughs) so (laughs) when, when he gets out of the uh uh you know, hot stone massage prison. Um, we intend to collect reparations from him for the Black Power Blueprint as part of our campaign to target the money sector, to target mm-hmm. CEOs mm-hmm. whose fortunes are drenched in the blood of African people. So, Stanger, we are coming. Uhuru. <laughs> Thanks. They had an article in the paper. I mean, it's unbelievable. But they had this, they, just every day I'm reading the Post Dispatch of St. Louis. I'm like, I don't believe this. Yeah. I do not believe this article. Yeah. But they had one on Stenger. When Stenger got to, to this prison, he they reduced his sentence. And the article said, well, it's out of our hands. They just do that sometimes. Huh. And I'm wow. like, what? Yeah. For Africans, they give you 30 years yeah. to life. They increase right. your sentence. You never get out. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like incredible. Yeah, reduced his sentence, so he's going to be in for like a year and a half. Uh huh. You know, you know that that brings me back to even one of the reasons I read. I don't think we have it available, but there was an article attached to the script from uh, CNN, a a bourgeois outlet, about Kim Gardner's um, case against right, and um, just that one of the bases, along with the eighteen seventies Ku Klux Klan law, was the equal protection under the law as you're talking about these disparities in sentencing that are so blatant in the U.S. quote-unquote Justice Department and the U.S. prison industry, we see uh, African people going to prison for life, for these minor infractions, and, and you see these incredibly insidious people that are planning the destruction of entire communities go away for, what, a year and a half? And now immediately these uh, same forces are, are uh, turning back on the African prosecutor, Kim Gardner, um, trying to sue her for some sort of violation of privacy in her, um, in her case, in uh, gathering evidence. They're claiming that she violated some kind of privacy or something ridiculous like that. And the police, is it called the Police Benevolent Association out there, Chairman Penny? The union? The, 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 the police union, all the usual suspects is my point. Probably. All the same old people that were from the, right. We've seen them coalesce here in St. Petersburg against the African community and oh, yeah. against any movement to support the African community, support things like reparations and an end to gentrification. And, and, and we're seeing it out there. And I guess what, what comes home for me is what you said earlier when, when you started describing these contradictions in St. Louis, that reparations is not just a payout, right? It's mm-hmm. not a paycheck. And this, it's so clear why it has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a continuous standing and solidarity with this fight back, which requires resources of all sorts, right? Yes, it requires money. Yes, it's going to require checks, but it's also going to require a lot of sweat, a lot of mental energy, a lot of just showing up and being present to uh, put ourselves in, you know, in opposition to this uh, continued colonial hell um, that is faced by African people in St. Louis and throughout the country. So Chairman Penny, can you tell us more about the, also about the struggles of the African community that the African community has made to shut down what is called the so-called quote-unquote workhouse, which is a prison, well, as the I work, The workhouse is a horrible, horrible place where African people are kept. Um, nobody in there has even be, been under 
under the colonial law, even in that, nobody has been convicted. It's a place where Africans are kept until they go to trial or even hearings, first of all. And um, nobody, like, it's not a prison. It's just a, it's this place to keep people um, as prison. You know, it's a wow. colonial situation. And the, um, and it's very old. I don't even know, who are you calling? Sorry. Um, I can't, yeah, I can't hear you. I don't know if you're talking, but we're not in any we're case. Listening. So what we're saying, the workhouse, the workhouse is, is a terrible, terrible place where Africans are kept many times for years, for years with no recourse whatsoever. And, um, and that they, um, you know, that the conditions there are like gigantic rats running around, um, other kinds of vermin, roaches, toilets that back up, you know, into the, to the room, um, just brutality. There's a lot of women there forced into there. It's, it's a terrible, terrible situation and it must go. Mm -hmm. And so there is, and, and in fact, uh, an African man spoke at the Sunday rally of Impedum last week about it and he had been in it. And uh, one of the ways that it got to be a struggle, an open struggle, was that President Columbia told about, you know, she and some other comrades were driving past there one day and they happened to see that there was some kind of thing where Africans were standing behind the fence, the barbed wire, whatever, like waving and and, and yelling, so they got out of the car and started chanting mm. and started, you know, supporting them. And they were attempting, I think, to have a strike. And this man, Corleone, was one of them, one of the people who were doing that. And he talked about the conditions there and, you know, the fight to shut it down. Of course, it must go. The the only issue that I would say about it is that. The Uhuru movement, the African People's Socialist Party, the International People's Democratic Uhuru movement, recognizes that shutting it down is not enough. That's not the answer, because then what happens? You know, Africans are just put into something else because it's colonialism. They're put in the county jail or the the city jail or you know some other situation that it has to be power over the lives, power in the hands of the African working class to for self-determination to determine what is law to them, what is, um, who goes to jail and who doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, put Stenger in the workhouse, you know, put Sheila Sweeney, put Lyda Cruson in the workhouse. But African workers need to be under the political control and supervision and, and government, self-government mm -hmm. of the African working class, that's what this is about. And that's yeah. why the Uhuru movement, you know, can be and is distinguished from everything else that's out there. Independence and self-determination. Uhuru. Exactly. Uhuru. And uh, Chairman Penny has, we just have about five minutes left, uh, as I understand yeah, it. About one minute. We have about one minute left. Okay. Well, I, I just wanted to appreciate uh, this great discussion with Chairwoman Penny coming to us live from St. Louis. And I wanted to shout out some of our viewers on Facebook, Tama Gadini who was watching and then uh, switched to listening on the radio. She's here in St. Pete. Oh, um, great. Uhuru, Uhuru Tama. Uhuru. Virginia Wilson, who's out there in the Midwest, uh, in Louisville. Uhuru to Virginia. Salute, uh, Virginia. Janice Kant, here in St. Petersburg. Uhuru. To Charwa Masimba of the African Uhuru. People's Socialist Party. I especially want to salute to Charwa Masimba, who is an incredible leading force in the Black Power Blueprint, in the office of Deputy Chair on the Chatella, who um, is the economic development director mm. of the Black Power Blueprint and just so incredible in organizing and, and you know, leading the local committee um, for the Black Power Blueprint here. And really just salute to Charwa Masimba. It's an honor yes. to work here under his leadership and um, powerful force. It was yes. incredible to meet him at the uh, plenary of the African People's Socialist Party 2020. No, Quite amazing force to Very amazing and also a brilliant speaker in putting forward yeah, the theory absolutely. of African internationalism. Ernisa Barnwell is also tuning in and uh, Uhuru to Ernisa and thank you everybody who has joined us here on Reparations in Action on Black Power 96.3. Yes, thank you.
uh, salute to you all. And uh, Chairwoman Penny, is there anything uh, that you'd like to sum up? We have, uh, we have to go now for a music break. Is, is there any, any okay. final comments? Okay, well, just to say quickly, one is that I'm very excited because a local cafe, a white-owned cafe called Mokavis here, where a lot of people hang out, um, is, is going to um, host the Uhuru Movement historical and, and current exhibit. Mm. And it's going to be on and it's going to be launched the day before the Uhuru Solidarity Movement convention starts on April 17th, it'll be on Friday, April 17th. And we're very excited about that. It's gonna be up for six weeks, so that's going wow. to be amazing. That is. And um, I also really wanted to call on everybody to, to listen to, to participate in the um, membership drive the recruitment drive, the reparations drive that is being put on by Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Become a member, become a sustainer, and uh, become make reparations real. Yes. It's not just an idea. It's not just something to explain. It's something about really changing the world under the leadership of the Uhuru Movement, the African People's Socialist Party, Black Power Blueprint. Get out there and change the world in the white community. Become a member live for reparations to African people. Chairwoman Penny Hess, live from St. Louis, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you back on the program. Reparations. All right. All right. Uhuru. 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 Thank you, Chairwoman thank Penny. You. Uhuru. Thank you. That was great. Yes. So, Talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Uhuru. 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 Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM in St. Petersburg. And um, we were really honored to have Penny Hasson live from St. Louis. And there's much more that can be said about that, but we'll save that for another show. A lot, a lot of history about the oppression of African people, outrageous things that the U.S. government, that white power has done to African people, particularly in St. Louis. So an, another show, we'll get deeper into that. So, Jesse... Yes. The Uhuru Solidarity Movement is planning to take on a campaign that will target the moneyed sector. And I want to make sure our, our viewers understand what we mean when we say the moneyed sector. Okay, so it's yeah. pretty self-explanatory, but let's, yeah. get, let's get precise. And targeting the moneyed sector for reparations to African people. Could you tell us a bit about that campaign? Absolutely. So the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, the organization... <clears throat> Excuse me, the organization of white people formed by working under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party to organize in the white community for reparations to African people will be going into the moneyed sector of the white community to organize for reparations to African people in the form of a political action campaign that will be held under the theme The Big Payback 500 CEOs who owe reparations to African people. Hmm. Okay, wow. so. Forbes magazine puts out the Fortune 500 list, right? Mm -hmm. So we are calling this the stolen Fortune 500 nice. because these are CEOs, these are billionaires, these are profiteers of slavery and genocide whose net worth is drenched in the blood and suffering of Africa and African people, in the stolen resources of Africa, in the stolen labor of African people, and just the conditions of genocide that are inflicted against African and oppressed peoples around the world. So 
Um, this will include, if you've listened to the show before, you've heard us talk about diamonds, you've heard us talk about prisons. Those are two among the many uh, parasitic capitalist industries that we intend to target. So it's included but not limited to the tech industry, Apple, Google, people like that, um, as well as the prisons and diamonds and many others. So what we want to do is target the upper echelons of money white society to pay reparations, specifically to pay reparations to the Black Power Blueprint mm -hmm. that we just heard about in St. Louis. Because the Black Power Blueprint is not just a project for St. Louis. It's a project to forward the struggle of African people for independence and political and economic power wherever they are. So supporting the Black Power Blueprint in St. Louis is a stand of reparations to African people everywhere. So we are calling on these CEOs and these billionaires to pay reparations to the Black Power Blueprint. This is a strategy that our leadership, Chairman Omalia Shetela, has been calling on the Uhuru Solidarity Movement to carry out actually for a few years now. And now is the time. Yes. We cannot wait another day. The urgency is extreme right now. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, Chairman Amali Shetela has pointed out that the white ruling class, the capitalist elite, are in a very vulnerable state right now. Yes, they are. Chairman Amali's talked about the crisis of imperialism mm -hmm. many times, right? And part of the crisis of imperialism is that sectors of the white ruling class, I mean, you look at CNN, you, you, you see these uh, politicians that are running for president and stuff like that, you see all this division within the Democratic Party, within the bourgeoisie, you're looking at basically an example of the crisis of imperialism mm -hmm. like they they do not have a unified strategy or approach for how to, they're going to get themselves out of the quagmire that they've been in for quite some time now because capitalism is a parasitic economy P capitalism requires sucking the blood and resources of africa and oppressed peoples around the world so because african people are fighting back because ferguson because black power blueprint because venezuela iran palestine syria haiti congo etc uh, refuse to just lay down and die so that the U.S. can continue to bleed them dry year after year, the U.S. economy, the capitalist economy is going into crisis. Um, and you see it just fracturing, falling apart all over the world. So the chairman has pointed to, you know, Chairman Amali Shetela reads these bourgeois journals, foreign affairs and things like that, to study what the thinking representatives of the white ruling class are saying and thinking about their own situation. And, mm -hmm. and he gleans many powerful insights from doing that. For example, he points to articles even in uh, Time Magazine. Um, with the, the cover of Time Magazine was an article feature called The Party's Over, The Fall of the American Ruling Class. Wow. Okay, I didn't say some socialist rag. I right. said this is Time, Time Magazine. Magazine, okay? <laughs> and even some uh, Wall Street Journal articles have uh, expressed some of the concerns that sectors of the bourgeoisie have about the future of capitalism and mm -hmm. some of them are trying to hedge their bets on Elizabeth Warren because of what she represents in terms of trying to manage and perfect and extend the lifespan of capitalism, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what the chairman has shown is that they are in a weak spot right now. They're in a vulnerable position and we have to take advantage of that. Not only are they in a vulnerable position, but we are in a great position because the African People's Socialist Party has been successful in winning and popularizing reparations to African people as a mass popular demand to the point where 12 Democratic presidential candidates came out and said they were for reparations, yes. which is whether or not they believe that is subject to question, obviously. But the fact that they said it is unquestionably significant, um, not to mention even... Uh, Forbes magazine itself, which put out an article about uh, um, reparations being the only fix to the U.S. capitalist economy's problems and things like that. So reparations is out there. And um, I know I'm running out of time. So just to wrap this up. The money sector. Can I just yeah. ask for a clarification point? When we you talk about the ruling class, mm -hmm. is that synonymous with the money sector or are those two no. different entities? Not necessarily. Um, but there's a lot of overlap mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we also want to target people who have a lot of money, white people who have a lot of money, who might not necessarily be actively involved in, you know, the ruling class uh, activity of forwarding parasitic capitalism, but who benefit from it, such as white people who have inherited wealth from uh, their ancestors who were slave owners. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few who have been quoted in newspaper articles and things like that saying, I inherited this blood money 
from my great-grandfather, whoever, who owned X amount of enslaved African people, and I want to do something about it. I want to take a stand. I want to, I want to invest this in a responsible and socially conscious way. And then there's all these opportunist organizations and causes that have cropped up to absorb that, that money basically towards keeping parasitic capitalism going in mm -hmm. some form or another. So we want to talk, we want to hold conferences for the heirs and heiresses of, of the money of slavery, mm -hmm. of the, the profits gained from the slave trade. We want to invite them to come to our conferences, to speak at our conferences, to hear the chairman, to hear deputy chair, to hear Penny Hess, to hear the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, and to learn how they can truly invest those, those stolen resources back into the hands of African people from which they were stolen in the first place. And that's the kind of stuff that we wanna do. Um, and we're gonna be doing a letter writing campaign. We're gonna be creating a newsletter that we're gonna to send to at least 500 uh, targets throughout the country, CEOs, billionaires, heirs of resources like we just talked about um, from the slave trade, et cetera, and call on them to uh, contribute. We're gonna be doing demonstrations as early as late April, uh, press conferences. We wanna do a press conference in Wall Street um, in June. And we're gonna be doing a tour, 500 CEOs who owe reparations to African people tour. Right here in St. Pete, we've got people like, you know, uh, Mel Sembler, uh, Bill Edwards, you know, those people expect to see them on that target list. Rick Kreisman, you know, Rick Baker, they will be on, on the target list. And, um, and there are others too that we wanna approach and, and struggle to win them, like Ben and Jerry's uh, has, which I think is located in Vermont. It is, yes. They've put out a statement saying, it's time to talk about reparations to African people. So let's talk hey. about a Ben, let's talk about a Jerry, you know, here it is, the Black Power Blueprint. I appreciate that. Yeah. And we intend to approach them in a friendly way and, and see if we can sit down and have that conversation. And there are many others like them. So it's a multifaceted approach. It's not one thing. It's many different uh, tactics and strategies that we're going to be using. And I just salute Chairman Amali Chatello for the brilliant strategy. I think this is what is, is going to take us to the next level. And the last thing I will say quickly is that for regular white people, this is how we take on a genuine struggle with our own white ruling class. Mm -hmm. This is how we fight back because capitalism is our enemy. The white ruling class is our enemy just as, as it is the enemy to African and oppressed peoples around the world. And instead of trying to occupy Wall Street or whatever and demand our student loan money back or $15 minimum wage, et cetera, et cetera, um, we have to go deeper and make the revolutionary demand for reparations to African people at the highest levels of parasitic capitalism. That's, that is our anti-capitalist revolutionary stand. Wow, that is so inspiring. And I, I would just want to reiterate what Jesse's saying. If you're a regular white person out there and you too are enraged at your own ruling class, enraged uh, at what parasitic capitalism has done to this world, uh, to this continent, to this land that the United States occupies, then you have a place in the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. You can become part of this campaign to take on the moneyed sector of imperialism, the moneyed sector of parasitic capitalism and imperialism, white power, by joining the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, taking a stand for reparations. That's a revolutionary demand, an ongoing revolutionary demand. African people, as you once said, Jesse, are owed much more than money. Mm -hmm. This is about their, their very identity. This is about the, the African nation and uh, the resources of Africa belonging to African people. So if, if you want to become part of that, uh, the first step is you can become a member of this organization by going to uhurusolidarity.org slash join. That's uhurusolidarity.org slash join, if I'm not mistaken. You're not. And uh, we also want to really encourage people to support this radio station, Black yes. Power 96.3 WBPU-FM, yes. a true community radio station, not just explaining the world, but changing it. So support Black Power 96 and also come out to see the Black Power Blueprint live and in action at the Uhuru Solidarity Movement's convention. That's happening April 18th through the 19th this year. Jesse, how can people find out more information about the USM convention? uhurusolidarity.org slash convention. Fantastic. And we also have the weekly reparations study group. Can you give us a website for that? Reparations study group is on Facebook and YouTube, facebook.com slash uhurusolidarity, youtube.com slash uhurusolidarity, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Central. And in the Eastern, 30... Eastern Standard Time, Fan... 6 Central. And in the 30 seconds or so we have left, could you tell us a bit about the reparations recruitment week, how people can plug into that? uhurusolidarity.org slash recruit. All right. Sign up to become a recruiter and join the Uhuru Solidarity Movement Monday, March 9th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
join Reparations Recruitment Drive web show with Chairman Omalia Shatella and Chairwoman Penny Hess live from St. Louis. Fantastic. I want to thank Chairwoman Penny Hess for being on the show today. I want to thank my co-host Jesse Neville. I want to thank our extraordinary guest engineer, Temba Shabanda of the African People's Socialist Party. I want to thank everyone who tuned in and Black Power 96.3 FM for allowing us this hour every Tuesday at 12 p.m. This has been Reparations in Action. My name is Jamie Simpson, your co-host. We will see you next week. Uhuru.